Good morning. How are y'all doing? Well, it is good to be with you guys uh, this morning. Um, if, if you're a guest, if, if you've not been here before or, or you don't call Veritas home, uh, really, really glad you're here. Thankful for uh, that you're here. Um, if, if you would, uh, there's a connect card attached to your bulletin. Uh, and you can you can fill that out and tear it off. Uh, request more information. You can uh, I, I would count it as an honor if you would write a prayer request on there. I'd love to pray for you this week. If if you would uh, write a prayer request on that connect card, and you can either uh, give those to a leader here today, put that uh, in the buckets, one of the buckets, or or the the black box on the uh, welcome table out there with the coffee and all of that stuff. Uh, but yeah, we we'd love if you'd fill it out and and just let us know who you are and and uh, if. If you want more information on, on uh, who we are, what we do here at Veritas, we'd love to connect with you and, and get to know you and let you know a little bit about us. Um, so this morning, uh, I, I if, if you're usually here, if you're regularly here, you know that I'm up here preaching and, and uh, opening the Word of God for us, and, and that is a great honor for me. But uh, we have another wonderful honor here this morning, having a, a guest with us, Dan Turner. Uh, who I think the world of. He's one of the most godly men. He's one of my, my favorite people on the earth. Uh, I love Dan Turner, um, besides all of you, of course. Uh, and and so Dan is the husband of one wife, Lisa. He's the father of four children. Dan is one of the pastors at uh, Clear Creek Chapel, been in the pastoral ministry for, for over 20 years, 25 years, and, and he just loves Jesus. His, his love for Christ exudes. You, 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 if, you, if you know Dan, if you've talked with him, you can feel just his affection and his love for Jesus, uh, and, and he just continually points you uh, back to the Lord. And so really, really thankful for him. Thankful he's here this morning. Dan, if you want to come up and, and open the word of God for us, I'd love to pray for you. You going to move this? I can't move it. I'll move this then. Okay. <laughs> uh, Father, thanks for Dan. Thank you uh, for the blessing he is to your family, the church. Thank you for uh, his faithfulness in preaching the gospel, his faithfulness to his family, to his church family. And, and Lord, we just uh, we thank you that he's here this morning with us. Uh, we ask that, that you would now, um, that you would work through him as he uh, opens the word of God for us uh, and proclaims the word of God to us this morning. And, and we just pray that you would let the words of his mouth, the meditations of, of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Would you, uh, Lord, would you make the word effectual this morning? Would you sanctify us in your truth, Lord? Your, your word is truth. Uh, and if there are any here this morning that don't know you, that, that aren't reconciled to you through your son, uh, Lord, we, we pray that that would take place here this morning. We ask uh, in your good grace that that would take place here this morning, uh, Lord, and we're, we're completely dependent upon you for everything. We can do nothing on our own. And so would you work, would you be here working in us, working through us this morning as we're gathered? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Garrison, for those very kind words. Those words are very kind to me, and, um, and yet many of those are probably over the top. Um, but Garrison is young, and as he gets to know me more, those words will be shaped more towards reality, and hopefully he'll still like me. It's good to be with all of you this morning. It's a great honor to be here. Um, it's an, an honor as well to 
to sit on the oversight executive board to watch uh, the, the workings of God in and among your lives, to be close to Garrison, to listen to his heart, pound for Christ, pound for you guys, pound for this community, to look through his eyes and see what the Lord has done, is doing, and perhaps will do here in this community. So it's a great honor to, to be that close to you, though this is the first time we've met. Also, one of the guys asked me, do you, do you roam when you preach? Because uh, Brian was concerned that I would come over here and, and, and make a ruckus over there. And if I do start roaming a little bit, it'll be just over in here. But my major concern is not taking out the, the music, but... If my head goes this way and that way as I'm preaching, my concern is this is going to go flying. I think because Garrison's ears are bigger than mine, it doesn't fit that well. And so if it does go, please don't get distracted. Stay with the words, stay focused, and I'll just continue to preach as it dangles. <laughs> this week, this week, I was able to witness something absolutely wonderful. I was in a wedding, and I was very close to the bride-to-be. I was in front of the bride-to-be, and she was radiant. I could hear her breathe. I could see a tear form in the left side of her left eye. I was that close to something that magical that it almost appeared to me that I was somewhat intruding in something happening. With, with wetted eyes fixed upon her, her husband-to-be, her ears were now ready to hear these words. I take you, I take you to be my wedded wife, to have, to hold, from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in hell, to, to love you. I want to have you, to love you, and to cherish you. Well, at this point, everyone present for this wedding could sense her embrace of her husband's exclusive claim that he sweetly placed upon her heart. And now with great ease, her lips and life were ready to say, and, and I take you. I take you to, ha to be my wedded husband, to, to have you, to hold you from this day forward, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, in lo to love and to cherish. You see, she echoed back her exclusive claim that she sweetly placed upon his entire life. And the result? I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. At the wedding this week, we witnessed something spectacular. And this morning, we are about to witness something spectacular as well. Although I don't know if that's altogether accurate. No, I don't think that's so. We are not merely here this morning to be a witness of something wonderful. We are participants this morning. We are the bride-to-be in this story. We are up front. We are being looked at. 
We are being spoken to in intimate, powerful, and wooing words. In the next few moments, an exclusive claim is going to be sweetly placed on your life. It is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. And so the question before each of you is this. Will you hear these words that God is about to say like a bride to be and thus be utterly swept up into his intimate exclusivity? Will you hear in the first commandment God, as it were, saying to you, look at me, believe my words. There is no necessary tension between my claim on your life and your joy in my love. Will you hear yourself responding as I'm preaching? I am yours, and you are mine. I have no serious rivals for my heart because you are my all in all. And so take me, have me, hold me. I wonder, will this be our dialogue that we have in our hearts this morning? Or, as I'm preaching, will you hear an exclusive claim that is placed upon your life and you think, am I being right now fitted for a straitjacket? Are my liberties being threatened? Will I be told that I no longer have any choices? What will ever become of my freedom? Well, Let's find out together what our hearts will say as we open up the Scriptures to Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, continues our series titled, The Ten Commandments. And what I want to do this morning is to pray and preach in such a way that we together will leave this place believing that in his exclusive confinement, there is exquisite contentment. Let's pray. Father, do that miracle in our hearts. Won't you enliven our eyes and illumine our hearts that we will see clearly the wonder of your word and hear your word through your word to us. Make it so. Get me out of the way and put your words and your Son before us today. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, with Bibles open to Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3, I invite you to stand at the reading of God's Word. And our message today will focus on verse 3. The Word of the Lord says, And God spoke. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The book of Exodus is about how and why one and only God of the universe liberated his people from slavery. The word, I think, that would summarize this entire book of Exodus 
that you could remember its contents would be redemption. It's a story of salvation through judgment. And the plot line, it will absolutely absorb you as you read it. Does the ruler of Egypt have the power to frustrate God's promise? Will God, who made a covenant with his people, be thwarted? And his people be left abandoned with the idols we worship and the wounds we carry? Through his power, he demonstrates that all the gods of the world, which are no gods at all, are powerless and hopeless. Through blood and water, God delivers his people from slavery and escorts them into the presence where they find fullness of joy and their pleasures forevermore. This is the book of Exodus. And this summarizes, is summarized for us in the first two verses in Exodus 20, which read, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Now that he has his people out of Egypt and on their way to the promised land, he stops them 50 days into their journey at a mountain called Mount Sinai to give them legislation on how to live as a new nation. This legislation is summarized in what is known as the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, a set of laws that are inscribed by God on two stone tablets relating to worship and ethics. How these words, how these commandments relate to today's church can be noticed among other places in the New Testament. If you'd like to write these down and read them today or sometime this week, you'll find them in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You'll read about them in Hebrews chapter 7. You'll also see them in Galatians chapter 3, among many other places in, in the New Testament. Using the Apostle Paul's words, we are to remember that, quote, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, how do we see this principle in the Ten Commandments? In this series, we will notice that the Ten Commandments do for us four things we need so that we will die to the law and live to God. And as we preach this series, the Ten Commandments will, number one, communicate for us something particular about God. Number two, it will confront us of something particular concerning our sin. It will also comfort us with a particular grace, and then it will call us to a particular obedience. So let's think together over the first commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, which says, You shall have no other gods but be before me. The first thing we want to do with this command is notice that it communicates something about God. There is something, beloved, that we need to understand through this, these six words that relate to God. And the word that I want you to remember about this, something that's very 
particular and peculiar about God, a word that will summarize the first point of the message is this, jealous. God is a jealous God. Now, now, now why would I say that? Why, why would I say this verse communicates something particular about God, namely, He is jealous? Well, there's a couple reasons. If your eyes drop down to verse 5, you will come across Moses recording God actually saying this, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So the Lord says about himself that he is a jealous God. He has sole claim on the loyalty of his people. He will not tolerate rivalry or unfaithfulness. He commands exclusive devotion to himself from his people. They are to give him their choicest affections. This jealousy of God, however, is holy jealousy. God is holy. In him there are no impurities or perversions. His jealousy is not like human jealousy where sin can and usually is involved. God is perfectly pure in his purity. And he is almighty. And there's not a trace of sin found in him. The word that I want you to remember about God today is jealous. Now I say this, not merely because of verse 5, but if we just stuck, stuck with verse 3, we'd notice a couple things here. Notice with me the word have. You will have no other gods before me. Now this idea of have reflects marital imagery. It suggests the relationship between Yahweh and his covenant people as one of marriage. You will have me. You will not have other rivals. They are to have but one, if you will, husband. God's people are to have but one lover and one leader whose name is Yahweh. Bad desires in the hearts of the Israelites stirred up jealousy in God over his people. He wants what's best for his people. And he knows that what's best is he himself. They are to love him and adore him and worship him and honor him and fear him and delight in and depend upon him exclusively. And yet, in Exodus 34, verse 14, Israel is described as having other gods. And in the text, Moses describes there, the people are whoring after other gods in the pursuit of their pleasure. To have and to hold are ways Moses defines loyalty to God, according to Deuteronomy 10. The same phrase that he uses in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, for a husband to have his wife. So we see that in the first commandment, it communicates something particular about God. He is jealous. He has an exclusive claim upon his people. He is jealous for their hearts. He will not tolerate 
contenders for their affections, foes flirting with his people's fidelity will certainly get his attention. He commands us, beloved, to have an inward disposition and devotion to him, similar to a wife for her husband. God is a jealous God who commands us to, quote, have no other gods before me. Now, this revelation of God in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, confronts us with something, doesn't it? We begin to feel as though something is just not right. If when God says, have no other gods before me, if he means like a, a wooden image, well, I'm starting to feel a little bit better because I don't have a wooden image in my basement to which I run down and bow down to. I just don't have that. But my sense is that he means something more than just a wooden image. Notice with me how the Ten Commandments start and end. It starts with, have no other gods before me, and then it ends in verse 17, that you shall not covet. The New Testament picks up this idea in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, and says, put to death covetousness, which is idolatry. And so by framing the commandments this way, have no other gods before me, and do not covet, Coupled with the New Testament teaching on covetousness, I put before you this morning that the particular sin God is confronting us with is the sin of idolatry. It is the sin that we find in our hearts when we feel like God is not enough. We get restless. We get fidgety. We get anxious. We look for solutions that are not honoring to God. We see Christianity as a duty and so many other things as a delight. We misplace our heart onto good things with hope that they will eventually become ultimate things. We say, in effect, God, you are not enough. The payoff for worshiping you and sacrificing for Veritas is not enough. I'm going to give my choicest affections to a, I don't know, to a hobby or to a house or to a person or maybe a, a purpose or a car or a kid or a vision or just simply a vacation. I want something, God, that you just simply aren't giving me. And I want it so badly that I am willing to sin to get it. Or sin when I don't get it. This, my friends, is what we are confronted with in this first commandment. And so I ask the simple question, have you violated the first commandment last year, last month? last week, maybe even last night. A popular Christian writer says about our topic for this morning, quote, 
An idol is anything that you add to Jesus as a requirement for being happy. End quote. If the first word communicating something about God was jealous, the second word communicating something of us might be idolatrous. You and I, beloved, are guilty of idolatry. And so what are we going to do? Well, for some who relate to God under law, you will say, I'm sorry, God, and I'm not going to do that again. I never, ever want to be seen as a vow breaker. I will work hard, and I will become a good God worshiper and a good spouse and a good parent, and a good member of the local church, and a good neighbor. And I know, I know that because of this effort, you will love me, and accept me, and welcome me, and forgive me, and lead me to heaven. Won't you? Won't you? Beloved, the third thing that the command does for us is infinitely better and more beautiful than that previous scenario. The third thing the first commandment does for us is to comfort us with a particular grace. We today do not need good advice on how to live the Christian life. We need good news that will empower us to live the Christian life. So who is the good news to whom I'm referring. The third word that I would want you to remember has to do with where we find comfort, and that third word is Christ. If you still have your Bibles open, look back into Exodus chapter 19, verse 9. This verse says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. You see, Moses' role for God's people was one of a mediator, one who will be able to go between God and his people, and the people will believe in him forever. He was to go between the threatening, intimidating, lightning bolt, thunder-clapping, life-taking cloud of God's presence. According to chapter 20, verse 21, the people could not draw near to God. They stood far off so that none of them would be consumed. They needed Moses to draw near to God on their behalf. And so, what does that mean for us today? Is there a certain place that we need to go to find this kind of favor with God? Since I committed idolatry, is God, according to Exodus 19, verses 22 and 24, going to break out against me and actually consume me? Oh, where, oh, where do the vulnerable go to find both forgiveness and favor? Well, praise God. 
Praise God, there has been a change since Jesus came to earth some 2,000 years ago. The change is that Moses is not the mediator. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24, to get the sense of how this applies now to us this morning. It reads, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages would be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given, quote, if even a beast touches this mountain, it shall be stoned, end quote. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble at you with fear. But you have come not to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion, to the city of a living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. In the new covenant, we no longer go to temples made with hands and human priests sacrificing a lamb for our sins. All the persons and institutions and events and systems and laws are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Beloved, come. Come to Jesus. In the new covenant, we no longer are in dread that the destroyer will come to administer the wrath of God on us for our sins. Christ, the Passover lamb, has been sacrificed to cover us with his blood. The violent and pure wrath of God consumed his son Jesus on the cross so that we could be consumed by his love in Christ. Beloved, come to Jesus. In the new covenant, we are exposed as sinners. Jesus meets the need that the law exposes. He lived the life we should have lived, and he gave us his perfect life. We are clothed now in His righteousness and we're treated by God as He treats His own Son. Oh, beloved, this morning, come to Jesus. You see, we come to Jesus for forgiveness and for favor. Our sins are washed away and the smile of God rests upon us. And this do solely by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, beloved, this morning, come to Jesus. And as we do so, we will hear a call, a call of obedience upon our lives. Like a bride-to-be, here's the words, I take you. I take you to be my wife, to have you, to hold you through all the pain and all the pleasure, to love you and to cherish you. And we now echo back to God in Christ the words, and I take you to to have you, to hold you, 
through all the pain in this world, through all the pleasure, to love you, to cherish you. When God's exclusive claim on our lives sounds like a lover rather than a slave master, our words and ways change for His glory and our gladness. This comfort brings us to the fourth and final thing the law gives us this morning. It's a call to a particular obedience. And so we have heard something of God that He is a jealous God. We sense something in us that we are idolaters. We felt the comfort of Jesus as our only solution to our problem. And now we hear the call upon our lives. The fourth word that I would want you to remember as a result of this message today is faith. So the question before us is, what is a faith kind of obedience? So let me ask you a series of questions. What this morning do you need to turn from? What God replacements have you attempted to use to give your life significance or pleasure or comfort, or prominence. Look at it. Locate it. And now, don't simply try to remove it, but rather replace it with Christ. Who do you need to turn to? Well, well you need to, to run to Jesus. What specifically do you need to believe about Christ that will relieve you of your guilt and give you renewed affections for Him in order to say no to any Christ substitutes? And how? How will you express your recaptured heart? What will worship of Christ look like now? How will this impact the use of your time and your money? How will you treat people around you? What sacrifices will you start making for the church and your neighborhood? How will this sweet union with Jesus Christ change your attitude towards giving to people? As a Bible teacher once said of the book of Exodus, quote, the Exodus is the end of captivity, but it's only the beginning of freedom. So start today. Start today to understand that your only freedom in this life is this exclusive claim on your life. Be free from the entanglements of idolatry. Be free to love Christ publicly. Be free in order to sacrifice for others. And learn more deep in your hearts, the paradox of in your exclusive confinement, there is exquisite contentment. We will do this as we turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for preserving your words thousands of years ago. And now they're here in our laps, hopefully in our hearts, and we can hear you speaking. And I just want to thank you so very much that the grand plan of salvation 
culminates and clusters around the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we find full and forever redemption. And I pray that this will be the expulsive power of a new affection driving any idols out of our hearts, leaving us with Jesus, leaving us with our only hope. Help us this day, this hour, this moment, as we contemplate Jesus, help us to close with Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.